0: back everybody to the anthony irwin show i'm anthony irwin Uh, today on the show we are joined by uh somebody who hopped in the spaces uh trade deadline post game or post deadline show i probably should have come up with a better name with that um uh but he hopped in there to talk about the spurs uh and the direction that they were heading in and uh he's somebody who my boss michael kiss was like yeah you should probably really pay attention to this guy so uh I enjoyed his conversation, the conversation we had on that Spaces, and I figured I would bring him on here as the Lakers play the Spurs later tonight. Uh, Noah Magaro-George of Pounding the Rock and who hosts the Alamo City Limits podcast. Uh, Thanks very much for hopping on, especially on short notice uh, as the Lakers get ready to lose a really disappointing game tonight.
1: (laughs) No, I appreciate you bringing me on. I'm always excited to talk about Spurs basketball, so I'm ready to get into it.
0: So the basic kind of theme of this podcast is going to be about the Spurs. So the Blazers clearly like they are doing everything in their power to not (laughs) squeeze into that 10 spot (laughs) instead of the Lakers. It's become, it's one of my favorite things across the league right now is just laughing at how hard the Blazers are tanking. Um, and, and so like their, their interests are pretty clear there. I'm kind of curious about the Spurs, though, because, you know, I just couldn't possibly see Pop being at at all okay with, you know, not trying to win basketball games, um, organizationally speaking, right? Like that's, when teams tank, it's not, it's the organization that's tanking, not the team. Um, The Spurs are a couple games back here, but I just can't see Pop just kind of turning in, given Uh, where he is in in, in his career. So let's just start there. Like, if the Spurs could, are they interested in the 10 spot?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think they absolutely are. Now, Greg Popovich, about three weeks ago, gave us a quote, and he said, you know, this is a rebuilding time. You can say it. Go ahead and say it. We're not going to win a championship this year. And right after he said that, they asked the same questions to DeJounte Murray, Devin Vassell. And they were almost offended, right? They were saying, you know, we're going to make this playoff push. That's what our goal is. We're trying to get into the plan. We're trying to make the playoffs. We're a proud organization. We're proud players. And so it feels like they're going to try to get there, but I don't think they're going to. Maybe they hop the Lakers. They're definitely going to hop Portland, but just what they're playing, the personnel issues they have defensively, they've been all over the place. I don't see them getting in, but they're going to try. They're going to try their hardest.
0: That I mean, that that's basically all we can ask, right? Like, (laughs) unless, unless you can get a fan base, like the Blazers have gotten their fans now interested in tanking. Right. And, and that's kind of a fun place for an organization to have a fan base is, Oh, you're okay with losing. Oh, well, (laughs) let's see how this thing can go. Right. Um, and, and until you get the fan base to that place, you know, you do get quotes from, from pop where, Like, I like that he says, yes, this is a rebuilding season. We aren't going to win a championship. And that's like the line that he calls, like, that's where he delineates a competitive season with a rebuilding season is we aren't going to win a championship. Thus, we are rebuilding. Um, and, And I'm glad that the players kind of pushed back on that and said, well, hold on. You know, there's some guys in here that are pretty good. Uh, and, and so I'm kind of curious, like how this is going to play out. Look, the Lakers are a mess. Basically every day I wake up and there's some new article <laughs> about finger pointing between this person and this person and this person. apparently now Phil Jackson's involved in, in, in uh, consulting the Lakers because that's what the Lakers need. Um, the Lakers, <laughs> look, they have... They, they won over the weekend. They beat the Golden State Warriors. Uh, it was a fun game, it was a good win. They might've learned something about themselves. Uh, if you were to, you know, as the, the Lakers and Spurs get ready to face off tonight, as you're getting ready for this game, what are your kind of expectations for how this might play out?
1: See, that's so tough. The Spurs team is the youngest team that Greg Popovich has coached since he became head coach in 1996. And they've been all over the place. I mean, there have been games. They hold teams on 90 points. More recently, there have been a lot of games where they've given up a, over 130 points. So I don't know where they are defensively. There's a lot of miscommunications there. There's a lot of people beating the Spurs on backdoor cuts. There have been some really bad pick and roll coverages and drop coverage where Yaka Pertle ends up guarding two guys at once because his guards can't fight around screens. And offensively, they're scoring a lot of points, but that's really pain adjusted, right? So they're not very efficient. They're not really a good offense, but they got a lot of motion. They've got a lot of passing, so they're more with that pace. Now, when I look at the Spurs and the Lakers tonight, it could go any way. You know, if LeBron James ends up playing, he could very well go for another 45-50 against the Spurs. They're that bad defensively. Uh, At the same time, if he's not in there, it could go the way that we saw last time where the Spurs blew them out by 30 now, I don't think bates Diop has another 31 point night on 11 11 shooting in it. That's not <laughs> going to happen. That's not going to happen again. Yeah. But I really could see this matchup going either way. I-, I think if I had to give somebody an advantage, I would say the Spurs. You know, if Anthony Davis isn't going to be be in there and he's a guy who's given them a lot of trouble over the years, I think Jakob makes, you know, his easier, right? As a rim protector, his job gets a lot easier. If LeBron's not playing, his life gets easier. So, I think if you know LeBron's not in there, they have a good chance. If he's there, the Lakers always have a chance to beat anybody in front of them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. that The issue is that you know the Lakers again, like so they beat the Warriors, and the way that they beat them was by playing loose and getting out in transition all the way up until the final buzzer, right? The problem that the Lakers have is that LeBron likes to dribble the ball up the court nice and slow set up an offense get into the half court and their half court offense is essentially find somebody with a with a mismatch in the post or you know one of carmelo or Melo right now or carmelo or lebron right now and try to get a double team or send somebody middle with a cut and then hope that either the person cutting gets the ball or that that collapses the defense you swing it opposite you swing it one more time to the corner and 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 that's your corner three. Um, It's great if you're running it, you know, once every 15 plays or so. Uh, But but when you run it, time after time, after time, after time, eventually, the defense starts figuring it out. And it's just it's that's kind of the tendency that the Lakers fall into is that in theory, on 2k, you can probably say yeah, that might work because (laughs) the AI doesn't learn very quickly. But as you're playing against human beings and as you're playing against a coached a pop coach team that's not going to 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 work as well so I don't know how this game is going to play out even with LeBron playing I would probably favor the Lakers but I wouldn't bet on the Lakers (laughs) in (laughs) in this one um I wanted I want to go back to kind of the larger theme here in in looking at the play-in and and the Spurs intentions and their confidence in their ability to, to compete, uh, for that. Like you said, like, there's some, I, I am one of the biggest De- Desante Murray fans, like in the league, um, <laughs> in, in a second, I'm going to go through a hypothetical just to wrap things up on a, on a fun note, but, but, uh, he is one of my favorite players in the NBA. Uh, Jakob Pertle is one of the most underrated, uh, bigs, I think in the NBA. Um, and, and, you know, Kelton Johnson I think is is going to be one of the better 3D wings uh, you know here before too long either. So like I, you have some pieces like you said they're incredibly young though so it makes it really difficult to, to, to do any kind of prediction here but like at what point does it become like I'm sure there were very few things that Greg Popovich would like more than to knock the Lakers out of that 10 spot if it comes down to it. And, and while he can say, yeah, this is a rebuilding year, we're doing this rebuilding, and he's doing that to temper expectations, in the back of his head, you have to be thinking, oh, my God, this would be incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I think his, and maybe some fans' perception of what the Spurs should do and what they're going to do is, is very much different. Like, if I'm the Spurs, I have no interest in making the play plan. Like, I don't. Mm. Um, you have DeJounte Murray, who... Phenomenal player. His story is phenomenal. Going from 29th overall pick, turning himself into an all-star after a serious ACL injury. But I think the question for me goes back to: if he's your best player, how good can you be? San Antonio mm-hmm. is not a free agency destination. So you don't—you make the plan, or you miss the plan, or you barely get into the plan. What's the plan in free agency? You know, go tell someone. You know, come join Dejounte and a bunch of unproven guys since the playoffs and come play mm-hmm. in San Antonio. I love San Antonio. Great city born and raised there, but if I'm an NBA free agent, I have no interest in going to San Antonio to play with DeJounte and, and all these other guys. So again, love DeJounte, but if Donovan Mitchell's healthy, if Paul George is healthy, Kawhi Leonard's healthy, Damian Lillard's healthy, Zion Williams healthy, does he get into the all-star game? Like you can't take it away from him. He absolutely mm-hmm. is an NBA all-star. He's put up some really nice numbers, but those numbers are pretty inflated by one pace. Only three players in the NBA have touched the ball more than DeJounte this season. So You know, numbers are going to come when you get that sort of opportunity. And the other thing that I wonder is he's not really that efficient or dynamic of a score. He doesn't have a lot of gravity. He can't stretch you out beyond the three-point line. He doesn't get to the free throw line very often. So if he's your best player, should you really be trying to get into the plan? Because it feels like, okay, you have a foundational piece. He is not your building block, but he is a foundational piece. Everyone else is a question mark. If you don't have your foundational piece, your building block, I think you should be looking to get that in the draft. Like, you're not good. You're not a bad team. You're only better than your record indicates. They're only, I think they've been outscored by 15 points this season, even though they're 16 games below 500. But I think if I'm and I'm not, so he clearly thinks differently than I do. What's the point of getting into the plan? Because now you're going to get, what, the 18th or 19th pick, and then you get the 20th pick from Boston, and you get, like, the 22nd pick or something from Toronto. Like, What can you do with that? Those aren't really places that you can find your next guy. It's not that you can't, because I hear Spurs fans say it all the time, right? Like Kawhi 15, Giannis 15, you know, Jokic 41. But these are like historical outliers. You're not going to find that guy every single day of the week. So if I'm the Spurs, I'm looking towards the future. You know, I'm playing Josh Primo more. I'm maybe cutting down DeJounte's minutes from 38 per game in February to somewhere around 33. Get other guys a chance to have some on-ball reps. You know, Keldon, if he's going to be a factor for them, he's going to have to learn how to score on his own. So those are some of the things that I think about when I look at the Spurs team. But if I'm looking at it realistically, Pop and the Spurs are going to try to get in this plan. And they very might well be able to do so. I feel like the Spurs
0: are in that really impossible spot where you're too good to fully rebuild in the way that you're talking about, but you're also not good enough to actually really compete. Right. To actually really compete to the level that like pop expects to compete. And, you know, it becomes a question of, well, is pop willing to do what is necessary to get to that <laughs> same kind kind of competition, right? Because like Tim Duncan didn't arrive via free agency, right? Kauai didn't arrive via free agency. They had to have some years where, you know, now granted you had the one year where David Robinson gets hurt. And that leads to having a pretty bad Spurs team. And then that gets you Tim Duncan. And, uh, I believe no, it was a trade, right? You traded, uh, George Hill for Kawhi yep. Leonard. Um, and, and so like, obviously one of the better trades ever, uh, <laughs> especially, <laughs> uh, in, especially in Spurs history. And then, and then so like, you, you know, there are sometimes you can get kind of lucky like that, but like you're talking about when you're a smaller market, you do kind of have to get down to the bottom of the standings and try your luck at drafting somebody or drafting a star and then hoping to convince that star in those first four years to stick around. And uh, that's really difficult to do with pop in general, let alone at the end of his career, right? Like he doesn't want to spend an entire year of his life just losing. And, and so like, what do you do? Like, I this is something that legitimately fascinates me. What do the Spurs do as an organization to try to bridge that gap between where pop is at in his career and what the Spurs kind of sort of really need to have to do.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting question because you asked a lot of media and you even asked fans, you know, is pop going to be here after this year? Cause it's the last year of his three-year extension. I think a lot of people would have said no. But as the year has continued to go on, and even though the Spurs are losing, this is the youngest team ever, and they've been very inconsistent. You know, Pop has said on multiple occasions, I feel reinvigorated. It's a new challenge. This is, you know, one of the best parts of coaching is teaching young guys. So it doesn't feel like he's leaving any too. Not that he should. He Mm -hmm. absolutely should. He has the right to stay here as long as he wants. He's still very, very intelligent. Obviously, he knows more about basketball than I will ever learn, than I'll ever forget. Like, he is one of the best coaches ever but I think he is very stubborn and rightfully so, you know, his way worked for 23 straight years. And, but, you know, three years now in a row, you're going to miss the playoffs most likely. And so I don't know how they get to the next step. You know, you got to get lucky a little bit, find guys like DeJounte and develop sort of guys, but you know, not everybody is a DeJounte Murray, you know? and, And I think that's the tough thing for fans to swallow is really with the Spurs, when you, when you're not in the playoffs and you're not contending for a title every fan because of Amanu Ginobili who came in as a second rounder and became an all-star because of Tony who came in as a late first rounder and became an all-star you know that's the expectation that's placed on every single guy who comes in the organization so you know we saw it with Lonnie Walker it's Lonnie Walker's going to be an all-star well now it's like do they want to resign Lonnie it's Luka Shamanich he's really special he's going to be an all-star they cut him this offseason you know it's Keldon he's the face of the franchise and it's okay, well, he didn't make the Olympic jump, and he's really like an ancillary player who may never get this opportunity on a good team. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we have an unfair expectation of what these guys can do. And I'm not sure that Pop is going to look at these guys and tell them, like, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, let's we're, we're going to try to lose. I don't think they're ever going to try to lose, and I'm not saying they should. But at the end of the season, again, you can lose organically. And I know that's a weird, like, a weird thing to say, but I think there's a big difference between tanking intentionally being bad putting the worst product possible out there to lose and just investing into these younger guys you know getting Josh Primo the ball getting Lonnie the ball getting Keldon the ball getting guys like Trey Jones the ball you know I, I don't think that that would help you win but it helps development in the long run and if you can get a better lottery pick out of it then why not i mean you're you have the 7th or 8th worst record in the NBA it's not like you're that far off from being actually bad
0: yeah the thing about winning is that you kind of want to win in a way that you can continue to do so sustainably and wins always kind of have to be compared to how other teams are winning right so like if dejounte murray playing 38 minutes a night wins you three out of four over a seven game stretch and you look over and you're like okay yeah but we can't play this guy 38 minutes a night and it's kind of hamstringing the guys behind him who we need to be able to develop down the road um, those three out of four wins or those three wins out of and, and four losses in that seven game stretch, like it's not the same as if Milwaukee goes through a rough patch and, and goes three and four in a seven game stretch because they know, yeah, Giannis is good enough to win a championship. That guy is, is yeah. actually there. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, really tough spot. All right. You know, I, I, I dabble on the trade machine occasionally. <laughs> And, uh, it sounds to me like there's a bit of a bottlenecking effect, uh, you know, with some of your, your top paid guys. So just, you know, throwing it out there. If you're interested in losing, um, Dougie, (laughs) Dougie McBuckets, DeJounte Murray, Josh Richardson for Russ works. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it works financially. I don't I don't know if they would answer the phone or like they might they might sniff that out pretty pretty quickly.
0: Uh, um, what's more likely them actually picking up the phone for that call from Rob Polenka or Greg Popovich <laughs> doing a full-blown photo shoot in a Phil Jackson Lakers jersey. <laughs>
1: I think the latter. <laughs> I think the latter. <laughs> um, I think they value they value Dejounte a lot, rightfully so. As I mentioned, he's not necessarily like your your franchise guy, but he's one of those pieces you want to keep around for a rebuild. Man, but yeah, I don't. I don't think at this point. Love Russ. OKC okay, Russ was phenomenal. I think he can still be like helpful in the right situation, but. I don't – man, and I don't mean to pile onto the Lakers. This is not like a Spurs fan thing or I hate the Lakers. But, man, it was just a weird decision to bring in Russell Westbrook with the mix of guys that they already had because he's not a shooter. He -hmm. doesn't move that well-off ball. He's not really a good defender. He doesn't pay a lot of attention to detail on that and gets beat back door a lot. So, I mean, what was the plan there? I just don't – I don't understand it. DeMar DeRozan was there for the taking. He is someone who feasibly could have fit in. I just – I I just don't really understand it, and I don't know. Like maybe you can fill me in on this, but does LeBron was LeBron (laughs) under the impression it was going to work? Like I just don't get it. I don't understand it from a personnel standpoint. So
0: the closest thing to an explanation I can I, I often give people, and this isn't like to say this is why it should have worked. I'm just explaining the motives behind it. Superstars want superstars, right? They think of the game like you would if you walked into a pickup game, right? And you would, and, and, you know, you, you assemble the five best players that you can grab and you figure out fit later. And uh, that worked for a really, really long time in the NBA. Uh, fit wasn't as important. It was, a, it was not as intelligent, I think, a league uh, across the board as the NBA is now, as professional sports are now. Um, so, like, this probably, if, if you did this, if you dropped this Lakers team back in the 90s, probably does all right, probably does pretty good. Uh, <laughs> but the issue is we're playing in the NBA in 2022 when you have people with graduate <laughs> degrees from MIT <laughs> who are deciding, you know, finding market inefficiencies and, and and ways like that to actually win basketball games so so yeah i mean it's it was never going to work I, I i was pretty i i was pretty vocal about it never potentially working and now the lakers like here's how you know that that this was this was a failed experiment from the get and it's that we are still 20 games away from the end of the season and it has been a steady stream of leaks, pointing the finger in this or that way, trying to associate somebody with this decision, um, or associate somebody else with another almost as bad decision. Right? Like I, I, I laughed out loud over the weekend when there was uh, when there was a report that oh, LeBron really, really wanted Alex Caruso back, like, man, <laughs> <laughs> I have a few people that I've spoken to with the Lakers since, and they've all said, that's a flat out lie. Like, that's just, it's <laughs> just not true. Um, and it's really rare that like, you get like immediate counter leaking like that. Um, and that's just where the Lakers are at though. So, you know, uh, what, like, when you look at this first season, though, like, do you look at it, like, would, would, being where they at right now like how are you how are you grading success for the Spurs in this kind of situation cuz cuz like you're saying getting into the play in game doesn't necessarily really help even if you win one of or, or both of the the necessary play in games you're immediately facing off against the Phoenix Suns and that's probably not going to go very well um so so like what what would have been a success heading in and wh- how far are the Spurs from that
1: I think the season has been of success because when I came into the year, I thought, okay, I don't really have expectations for them to win a lot of games. I thought 34 games, that's fine. 34, 32 games, that's realistic. They don't really have a go-to scorer who's super efficient, who can get you a bucket when the game slows down. They don't really have a lot of ancillary players who can create their own shot. So if they can just get that amount of wins and they can see development elsewhere across the roster, like Keldon Johnson learning how to shoot standstill threes, Devin Sell picking up a little bit of slack on the offensive end, you know, showing some creativity off the dribble here and there, guys like Lonnie Walker, you know, proving they either belong here or you move on from them. You know, Josh Primo, what does he look like as a rookie? So I feel like this season has been a success. And it's it's weird to say this, but this again, like the Spurs are better than their record indicates. But it's really nice that they've been losing because the way in which they've been losing is they've just played a lot of close games, and they're really bad in the clutch for the reasons that we've spoken about.
0: Yeah, and so not. they
1: lose. So, they, so they just lose in the clutch. Like, it, it's an interesting season for sure. I don't, again, like love Dejounte. I think he is really important, but I think the most telling thing for me when it comes to Dejounte and can this guy be your your like, you know, foundational building block? Can he be that guy? You know, DeJounte shoots nearly 50% against teams that are below 500. When he plays teams that are above 500 this year, he shoots a hair under 42%. So mm-hmm. if you're going to not be efficient, good teams, granted, some of that is because he has so much responsibility and there's no one else to really pick up the slack. But, you know, I, I still think you got to figure something else out. It just be DeJounte and you can't just be keeping your fingers crossed saying, you know, well, Keldon, he's going to be that guy or Devin's going to be that guy. Like, sure. Maybe they can. I mean, you could say that with anybody, you know, Romeo could be that guy, or maybe Aaron Neesmith could be that guy, or maybe someone on the Lakers, like maybe Austin Reeves can be that guy. And I think it's fine if you believe in your young core, even your players, but you got to look yourself in the mirror and go, we have a personnel issue. Don't have anybody who's NBA level at three, four, really like Keldon is a starter, I think, but at four KBD is K to Bates Diop going to be playing a good team. Is Zach Collins starting yeah. for a good team? Is Doc Dale starting for a good team? You know, so, like, I don't know where they go from here, but I do think that this season has mostly been a success. Finding out who they have on their roster. They're figuring out who they want to keep around. And in the process, they've moved on from Derek White, from Thaddeus, from Bryn Forbes, and they've accumulated, you know, three first-round picks, five second-rounders over the next, you know, five years. So just gathering draft assets, getting, you know, draft capital, figuring thing that's a successful season. So in that sense, I think it has been a success, but the winning part, they're still learning how to do that.
0: Yeah. That's in, in, in like, just like I said earlier about the wins, you know, that wins are, are all on a grading scale on how productive a win is a productive loss is a very, is very much a thing for a rebuilding franchise, even if it doesn't fully want to welcome or embrace that full-on rebuild, the tear-down rebuild. So yeah, if if the right people are getting minutes and if uh, it's just coming down to being out-executed in the clutch because those right players are getting minutes, then overall, you kind of take those losses. There was nothing more frustrating to me back when the Lakers were trying to, to <laughs> rebuild and Ronnie Price was out there instead of Jordan Clarkson <laughs> in the clutch. And you're just like, what are we doing? This isn't, this isn't helping anybody out. So, so yeah, that's, that's, that's good to hear. Um, all right, let's wrap up on this. Um, I'm springing this on you, uh, with, with, uh, with zero warning. So I'll go first. Uh, and I have, I have a recent one. Um, I end all of my episodes with my guests giving their most embarrassing sports moment. Right. Um, So I'll give mine. And it happened uh, just over the weekend. I was (laughs) at a, I was at, I wasn't like particularly athletic, but I was at a park and this uh, kid, so I was at this park and there's this like playground and there's a bunch of kids. Like there's a football game going over one area. There's some like, you know, kickball and some soccer and some other stuff going on all over the place. The balls are just flying all the balls, Frisbees, everything. (laughs) It's just, everything is up in the air you had you have to have to add your head on a swivel so i'm walking across the field uh to go to a food truck to pick up some food for for my family and as i'm walking over there i see i, I hear like a heads up and then like there's a ball coming in <laughs> and and i like i wasn't aware of anything else that's going on around me so i duck right and as i duck ball goes right over my head levels this lady that was standing behind me (laughs) and I could have, I could have like, if I reacted quicker, I probably could have like deflected the ball. I could have caught it, something like that. But no, I just straight duck. Wham ball hits this lady behind me. (laughs) I felt so this little kid runs up, and she goes, and 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 she says to the lady, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." And I'm like, right there, and I'm, like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." Uh, so, it was super crowded too. People, I, I just felt so judged. I, I deserve to be judged, but I just felt so judged. Uh, so that's my most recent, most embarrassing sports moment. Do you have Do you have anything on that level?
1: Man, on that level, I can no. <laughs> so I used to, have I done anything that bad? <laughs> I. I I played tennis in high school and I was always very competitive. You know, I wanted to be as good as possible. You know, I thought if I if I work really hard, I can go play, you know, division two or division three. That didn't work out, but I ended up going to the University of North Texas. I played club tennis there and eventually I became the the president of club tennis. And I took that like try hard mentality with me to Mm -hmm. the club. And like, you know, obviously we we play matches, they're competitive, but it's not that. Serious. So, we had a practice. It yeah. was one of the first practices when I was president. And so, I'm welcoming, you know, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, new people who have never been to the club before with us. And we're practicing. We play this game called SmackDown. And like some of the people were not very good. And the point of the game is you're trying to hit an overhead on the court and win the game. And the mm-hmm. people who don't win, they're sitting down on the other court with their racket, you know, and if they can get the overhead back, they get to come back in the game. And I was just overzealous. I was really excited. I wanted to impress people. I wanted them to think, like, this is our president. He's so good. Like, hit him over like, as hard as I could. And it went right into this girl. She was the smallest little Asian girl I'd ever seen right into her chest because she oh. didn't have a racket up. And she never came back. And she left right then and never came back. And I felt so bad. And, like, that was kind of the first impression that new people yeah. had of me was that, like, right. man, this guy is going so hard, like – Man, I don't want like it ended up working out by the end it was him but I felt so bad that I hit this girl who I don't know if she had ever played tennis before but I'm pretty sure she never wanted to play again after that so
0: yeah I
1: did feel bad for that you
0: went you went I you went full Fokker it's it's that scene in in Great Fokker jumps up spikes it hits the 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 bride to be in the face That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much, Noah, for hopping on with me. Again, you can check out his work at Pounding the Rock and on the uh, Alamo City Limits podcast. Uh, Noah Magaro-George was uh, my guest today. Thank you very much for hopping on and for all that information and for that great story. (laughs) We'll talk to you soon.
1: Awesome. Thank you.